Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Let's Talk Mental Health Show, where we discuss all aspects of mental health and wellness and how it impacts our physical health. We'll share stories and speak with behavioral health experts to normalize conversations around mental health and the need for occasional support. Our goal is to reduce stigma and provide listeners with the tools and resources you need to lead a physically and mentally healthy lives. I'm your host, Mary Renoff, and today we're speaking with Anna Wynn, licensed clinical social worker and licensed marriage and family therapist for behavioral health and primary care integration at Providence St. Joseph Mission Heritage Medical Group in California. Today we're going to take a deep dive into the topic of mental health and the AAPI community. Remember, everyone, most of our questions will come from you, our listeners, via social media. We can be found on Twitter and Facebook at Providence and on Instagram under Providence Health Systems. Before we start, I want our listeners to know that the information provided during this program is for educational purposes only. You should always consult a healthcare provider if you have any questions regarding a medical condition or treatment. So let's get started by welcoming our expert today. Hello, Anna. Well, Anna, thank you for joining us again. Thanks for coming back. I appreciate it. For those who maybe didn't hear our previous shows or this is the first time, can you tell them just a little bit about your role with Providence? Sure. Thank you so much for having me. Um, It is a blast to just be able to spread some helpful information, and I am so happy to be here. My role with Providence is I'm a licensed marriage family therapist. I do primarily um, short-term individual therapy in the primary care setting. So I work with a lot of physicians just to make sure we are getting care to patients sooner than later. Well, sooner than later being a key part, I appreciate it. <laughs> well, we're today we're going to do kind of a deep dive on the Asian American Pacific Islander community. And so I was wondering if you could talk to me just a little bit about how culture shapes that community, especially when it comes to the topic of mental health. Absolutely. You know, I think a lot about culture and what that really means. And especially it varies and it changes from culture to culture, of course. And within culture, You know, we have beliefs, we have values, and even our identity is very much shaped from our culture. But within that, we have norms. And a lot of the times, norms will shape our behavior. It'll shape our action. It'll shape the way we think about ourselves, the world, and how we make meaning. I think so much about mental health in terms of how these norms will either help someone, encourage someone to get help. Or a lot of the times it could be barriers that get in the way. But I think what it really comes down to is we just have to look at it from a very culturally competent lens and from a very understanding, kind, compassionate lens. And I think that's usually such a great way to open the door to to introducing to somebody what mental health can look like, what the new norms could look like, what, what we can start to predict and um, the more someone has an idea of what to expect, they're also more open to it too. So they start to shape in many ways, I think their own norms with the more information they have. Well, when we talk about AAPI communities and, and really any community, but you know, we've, we've actually been talking with a lot of the Latin community lately as well. There seem to be some kind of like unique stereotypes to the culture around mental health specifically. Is that something that you could speak to? Maybe give us a couple of examples. Absolutely. You know, I think especially in the AAPI community, there is there's a stigma that it, emotions are controlled. Emotions are something that we have 100 percent control over. And really, that's just not true. And I, But I can see how if we have that perspective of, let's say, hypothetically, emotions are controlled and every single person that experiences these emotions are unpleasant. You know, is there something wrong with me if I'm experiencing that? I think the reality is, is that since we're human, every single human being experiences emotions 
we're bound to experience things that we don't want to, like anger, sadness, even depression at times. And I think the ultimate message is that there's nothing inherently wrong with you. And I think that kind of reflects on how this perception is shaped. Sometimes it is through culture and sometimes it is through norms. And I think a big part of it too is if we have enough people thinking one way, if we have enough people thinking that we shouldn't feel this way or we shouldn't be experiencing emotions, and you know, there's always going to be this norm created and this standard created, but it conflicts with this human experience that we often have. I always feel like you and I kind of get very existential when we talk. I love yes. it. <laughs> well, you know, when we started talking about this topic, this AAPI community around mental health, the, the first thing I thought of is there's so many different communities within that larger community. So, and and we just talked a little bit about some, kind of some commonality, but are there are there unique things that we should consider when we talk about this community as a whole? I mean, obviously, Asian American slash Pacific Islander are two very unique groups. So, what what are kind of the most common things that maybe we don't know as non AAPI people? I you're absolutely right. There's so many different uh, various groups that fall under this, and I think a big part of it is something to keep in mind is that across the board, um, there's just so much shame associated, and I think what it really stems from is this fear of being different, you know, fear of looking different, fear of speaking a different language, fear of um, sounding different. If we have an accent, I think what it really comes down to is we are creatures of that. We want connection and we want belongingness. And a lot of the times in, in the AAPI community, what really happens is it plays to this fear that we don't look the same, we don't talk the same, doesn't mean there's something inherently different about us. And I think that the biggest thing to know is that, you know, there are so many similarities because what it really comes down to is we can look different, we can talk different, we can sound different, but we're still experiencing emotions very similarly. You know, when we have mental health challenges, we're still experiencing that very similarly. So I think a big part of it too is using fears to help unite us instead of divide us. And I think that's such a big part of the work in the community that I think could be helpful. Oh, I love that. that. That's like a hashtag right there. That's beautiful. <laughs> uh, um, well, I do know in doing the research for this show that AAPI community tends to have one of the lowest help-seeking rates of any racial or ethnic group. Why, why do you think that is? Is it the stigma? Is it the access? Is it, I mean, wh what are those barriers? I think we we want to look at it like um, I think in the American Western culture, there's a lot of independence that's emphasized. You know, you you hit 18, you move out, you establish your own home, your job. And I think it's very different in the AAPI community where the family is really looked at as the unit. So I think a big part of it is um, if the family doesn't quite understand, the individual will most likely not get help. And I think a big part of it is we want to look at it like each person in a family is like a cog in a clock and they have a very unique role. And I think ultimately the family's goal is always going to be, of course, to have everyone be happy and healthy. And I think sometimes that the thing that gets in the way is that we want to look at it like it's a family unit, that if you help one person, you're impacting the whole family. And then the whole family typically wants to just make sure everyone's okay too. So as long as you have a family's buy-in 
and they work together, I think that's such a great way to kind of make sure that, that you know, the AAPI community do seek more help. Um, I think it's all in our approach as well. I think, you know, it's really important for us to acknowledge each person's different experience and to help them feel welcomed and not judged. And I think these are really important factors that we as caregivers can really start to do because it really can impact the number of, of how often people in the Asian American and Pacific Islander community seek these mental health services. Well, you know, when you talk about the family, I think, you know, we we tend to know that in a lot of cultures, the the women are kind of like not just head of household, but a lot of times the decision makers or the ones that are really kind of doing a lot of the work, right? Putting out a lot of the effort. And yet we saw a study recently from the National Asian Women's Health Organization that said conflicting cultural values are really truly impacting API women's sense of control over their own life decisions. I'm wondering if if you if you're seeing this as well and if so, is there kind of a strong cultural tie that that that's making this happen with people? I think it's it's all in how you look at it. You know, I think from the American cultural lens, I think we definitely look at other cultures who are more family integrated to kind of say, you know, it doesn't seem like they have a lot of control in the family. But I think what it really comes down to is it's not so much about taking one person and making sure that they have control. I think it, when we look at the API community, it's about looking at the whole family unit and how do we empower the whole family? Because once the whole family is empowered, they're going to make sure you know, that the person who needs help will get help. And I think we see a lot of it in these kind of roles that maybe we, we don't quite understand to kind of say, you know, maybe women don't have a lot of control, but I think a big part of it is if we look at it like that clock and all those cogs, they do play a role. Their role is very important. It's just that each role just looks a little differently too. Well, how do you feel... I mean, there's so many topics that we could go into, but let's talk a little bit about the pandemic. Are you seeing an impact from the pandemic on the way that the API community is seeking mental health resources, or do you still feel like the barriers are preventing that? You know, I've seen it go both ways. And the first thing I've seen is, um, one, because we were all isolated and quarantined together. And I think with the pandemic, we just we started thinking more about family values and we started thinking more about people we love and how important it is to say I love you and how important it is to to th- to hug somebody and embrace somebody when we could have. And I think what I've seen is on one end, you know, people have come together, people have felt more connected. And I think in the AAPI community, that was really helpful because I think before there was a lot more feelings of isolation. And I think when people came together, there was more talking, there was more communicating, and that was better. I think that was a big launch off. And to see, for me, at least, to see more of the people at AAPI community to seek for mental health services is once the family came together and the family was concerned, the family made the decision that, you know, mental health services are probably the way to go. You know, I think you you talked about kind of that hug scenario, and, and I do think that kind of physical touch is important. I think it's interesting that my my close-knit friends of AAPI community have commented on the fact that so much of our relationship previously had stemmed around food, right? Like getting together to eat together, to, you know, go yeah. for coffee. Have you seen that? Have you heard that? That it's kind of been a, a bigger impact because it it's typically such a, a instrumental focus on life? Absolutely. I think... 
you know, um, in the AAPI community, amongst other cultures as well, it's really difficult to verbally say, I love you, or to say, I care about you, or I'm worried about you. And there's so much that there's so much love that's poured into action. You know, it's every time someone makes a meal, it's all of that love and that care poured into that. And I think what we really saw, especially during the pandemic, was not just our families coming together, but I really saw our community come together. You know, our community, we we made meals for each other. We would drop off care packages for each other. We would pour everything. And during a time, especially when we really could not embrace each other, I think everything was poured into action. And I thought that was really neat to see. That's beautiful. You have to love communities that kind of band together. The time is going so fast. We're almost out of time for our first half. So we're going to take a quick break. But when we come back, we're going to continue the deep dive on mental health in the AAPI communities.
We're back on Let's Talk Mental Health, and we're joined with our guest, Anna, today, and we're discussing mental health um, in the AAPI community. And right before the break, you were talking about, you know, during COVID, we kind of saw communities coming together, and it's it's such a sad topic, but, you know, we also saw an increase, according to media stats, in, in anti-Asian hate crimes during the COVID pandemic. Talk to me a little bit, though, about how that brings communities together as well, and, and if you're seeing an impact of mental health because of it. Absolutely. You know, that it, it was such a tragedy to see all these hate crimes. And I think a big part of it is, you know, a lot of the people in the AAPI community already have that sense of fear. You know, we already don't feel like we quite belong. And I think, you know, the hate crimes really started to fuel that. And I think I think what really happens is on both sides, there's fear. You know, there's fear on one side of people who don't quite understand when someone looks different or is from a different country. Um, what that really means and what that really holds. And I think there's a lot of fear of what they think could possibly happen. And I think on the other end, you know, there is a lot of fear of, of for, for immigrants who are here, people or people in the AAPI community who are here fear that because they don't look like they belong, that they're targets. And I think what we did see is we, we really got to see who our friends and family were. You know, I think we really got to see the ones who really have our backs. And I think every single time a person would make a comment about just how aware they are. And and I think a big part of it is just the fact that another person can see my experience or our experience in general was so comforting. You know, we got to see a lot of ethnicities, a lot of races just come together. And I think a big part of it, too, is and that's really the whole goal you know, for us to understand each other a little better, for us to understand our differences, that they're not bad, that they are strengths. And I think a big part of it too, is it really does help unify people more so than it divides people. I think it really comes from fear, but I think, you know, as our community is so great, we've all kind of come together to make sure everyone's safe, to make sure everyone is well, to make sure everyone's checked in on. Well, I, I like that you kind of bring up the the seeing people for who they are, because we did get a question from Instagram from Kelly, and she says, I have a Pacific Islander friend whose family doesn't support her seeking out mental health assistance. Is there anything I can do as an ally and her friend to support her while she's seeking this and yet still respect her culture? Oh, that's such a great question. And I think that's such a great example of just how caring we are for, for one another. And I think it's such a great example of even us as a community coming together just to help each other understand one another a little better and just to kind of understand what we can do for each other. I always go, when I get questions like this, I always go back to um, the two S's, whether that person wants support or whether that person wants solutions. And I think it's such a great way to communicate with someone and really get an understanding of what their needs are. Because if you have a friend who's part of the Pacific Islander community and her family already doesn't understand what she's going through. You know, we don't want to misunderstand her needs. And now we're we're kind of telling her what we really think, what we, what we think she should do. And we're giving her solutions for maybe what she might be looking for support. So I always recommend for anyone that we're communicating with, anyone that needs support or solutions, it's helpful to clarify. And that way, we as friends and family and caregivers and just human beings who want to help one another, we have a clear roadmap of which direction to take. Oh, that's great advice. I really like that. I think you mentioned that in one of our other shows and I wrote it down because I thought it was so important because I think sometimes we're always trying to fix somebody's problem 
And I don't know that that's necessarily what they're asking for. Yeah. What, um, what do you see the impact on younger AAPI members right now? I think, you know, we've seen a lot of focus in the last few years on kind of this youth stigma reduction and very much in the BIPOC stigma reduction. Do you think it's having an impact and, and are you seeing this change over time? I I really do. I think um, I've seen changes in a couple of different groups. And what I mean by that is, you know, with the youth, I think 100 percent they're more vocal about it. They're talking about their experience and they're really getting used to this idea that the more we talk about it, the better we feel. And there's a lot of encouragement with seeking mental health services. And I think it breaks a lot of the stigma. So I've seen youth to youth on that peer level, on that peer group, there's so much um, activity going on with promoting mental health. And there are so many of them seeking it out. I think it's also different from, from that person to their family, whereas the young person could be all for mental health and they want it and they're ready for it, but maybe their family members don't quite understand. So there might be more of a disconnect there. And I think with that, it's just, you know, we want to just communicate and understand in different ways that will help us build bridges instead of break them apart. Well, it's, it's actually, we got that question in from Kim on Twitter and she said basically what you just said, which is I'm Korean American. I'm 20 or in my twenties. I'm struggling with anxiety and depression, but my family's very old school and they don't want to hear about my issues. What do you suggest? So I, I guess I'm guessing that this is a fairly common question. Is there kind of a standard response you would give somebody who's experiencing that? I always say, you know, it, it looks a little different for each family. I think a big part of, again, as, as fear seems to be the big theme here, I think we are very much afraid of what we don't know. And I think that's a huge barrier in a lot of cultures, especially in the AAPI community, is that it's possible that because for a long time, our the culture is just that we don't really acknowledge mental health. We don't really acknowledge emotions. So there, it's possible that you know a lot of people just might not know. And when we don't know, our brain typically jumps to the worst case scenario. You know, for mental health is is such a wide variety. It's got so many different levels, different intensities, different things um, we want to take into account. You can have someone who has very mild, high-functioning depression versus someone who has very severe depression and has a hard time getting out of bed. But it's really on such a wide range. But all in all, what we know is that the more we lean into our fears with understanding mental health, the more we know about it the more we can kind of get an idea of what approach to take. For families who aren't really familiar with mental health, to hear mental health and therapist and psychiatric services, you know, their minds could jump to the worst case scenario. So their minds can jump to, oh, now this person might have hallucinations. This person might have a psychotic break. This person might never be able to work again in their lives. And I think a lot of times with with the Asian American Pacific Islander families, there just might not be quite enough information, but once families get enough information and they understand the wide variety of it, there's so much more, you know, willing and so much more understanding towards the person who needs the help, having a clear picture of what they need and where they're going. You have such a very um, calming voice and very like deep and thoughtful take on things. So I absolutely love talking oh, thank with you. you. <laughs> 
I'm going to ask you kind of to educate me because when we were doing research for the show, we had a question come in about model minority and that stereotype and how that could affect someone's mental wellness. And to be honest, I didn't even know what it was. Can you talk a little bit about that? Sure. I, I, I think that's so thoughtful too. And I think a big part of it with model minority and stereotypes, the dangerous part to it is that, you know, we have these preconceived notions about who people are before we even really meet them, before we even get to know them. So already before you meet anyone, you have these expectations on how to behave, how to dress, how to appear, how how acculturated should I be? You know, then you have all of these expectations that start to define you. And a lot of times, you know, because no one really fits in one mold, that we oftentimes will deviate from it. You know, we'll have characteristics and personalities that don't match the model minority. And I think a big part of what makes that dangerous is the more we try to shape ourselves to what people think we should be or what we think people want from us, we are taking pieces of ourselves. And I think those are pieces that are really tough to get back the more you shape yourself into somebody who who you're really not and who you think people want to see. And I think the more you lose yourself, I think that's the dangerous part too. I think when we meet someone to, to let go of stereotypes, to let go of any expectations, and just to kind of meet people where they're at is the most important thing. Then you really get to genuinely get to know someone. I think that's why I love therapy so much. I feel like as soon as somebody walks in that room, um, more so recently the Zoom room, but I feel like once they walk to that room, you know, they let go of all of these, these expectations, the masks come off, and they really get a chance to be who they need to be and who they are. And I think we need more of that, not just in therapy, but just in our day-to-day interaction with our friends and our family and people we come across just to say, you know, you don't have to put your mask on with me and that's okay. Oh, that's beautiful. I love that. Mm-hmm. You know, we're, we're almost out of time. I have a couple more questions for you. And one is, I feel like I've asked you a lot of questions about kind of these, these preconceived notions or these stereotypes, but let's talk about how culture can play a positive role too. I think there's, you know, especially in the AAPI community, there tends to be this kind of strong sense of identity with their ethnicity um, and even just kind of this resilience. Talk to me a little bit about how that can impact your mental health. Absolutely. Culture, I get it. You know, it really truly shapes who we are. And I think regardless of anyone's culture, we all as individuals, we have roots. You know, we came from somewhere. Our family came from somewhere. And I think a big part of it, too, is that's something that's really special for each individual to know who you are, to know where you came from, to know what your identity is and your values. I think it's even more special. And there's this experience where people in a group, when they come together and they have the same shared values, they have the same understanding. They have very similar life experiences. There's something about that experience when people come together and they talk about it. You feel so understood and you feel so seen in it. And it really combats a lot of the fear that we've been talking about early in the episode. You know, the fear of not belonging, the fear of not of, of being judged. And when we have a group of people who share the same values and culture as us and we come together it's almost like it's your own bubble, your own world where you are seen, you're understood, and things are okay. And I think that's so much more of what we need. I think a big part of that, that is we need that regardless of anyone's culture to be able to come together and see each other. 
Let's expand on that a little bit because one of the things we learned in kind of preparing for this was that there's a, a lack of access to behavioral health care providers who are also AAPI members, right? So if I'm if I'm in that community and I'm looking to find a behavioral health expert who looks like me, sounds like me, understands me, grew up like me, it's it's going to be a challenge. Are you seeing that get any better? Are you seeing any efforts being taken to make that kind of a, a, a less disparate as we get as we go further? Yeah, I will say, you know, it goes both ways, but I think it, it, it has been um, increasingly more or just more diverse groups of people are wanting to get into behavioral health. They want to get into um, healthcare in general. I think that's also really helpful. But I also think it's really important on the other end to know that, you know, it's helpful, yes, to have someone who looks like me, um, talks like me, who understands me. But it's also okay to have someone who's different as well, as long as that person wants to understand me and see me. Um, because really, we can be from the same culture, having similar experiences, but we're not truly going through the exact same thing. So in that sense, it's helpful, yes, but I think it's also okay if we have someone who who's maybe a little different. And I think a lot of times that works out too. I will say, I, I've seen even though families sometimes don't quite understand and that gets in the way as a barrier, I have seen it where if healthcare providers and multiple healthcare providers get on board with encouraging therapy, the patient will also be more open to that too, to kind of say, okay, my family doesn't quite understand, but I really trust my healthcare providers and multiple of them are saying this is okay. I think with that mentality walking into therapy, you know, we're okay with if that person looks the same, looks different, is similar, is different. We know why we're there. And I think that makes a huge difference. Let me ask you a quick question. Let's just say, though, that I, I find a therapist, whether looks like me, sounds like whatever, but I'm not really jiving. I'm not really feeling a connection. Is it okay for me to seek out a different behavioral health therapist? Oh, 100%. I always say, you know, when you're looking for a therapist, you want to interview them a little because each human being is person, each human being is different. So you're going to have different therapists, even though we get the same training, there are so many different approaches to something. I always want to ask questions like, you know, what is, um, what is your theoretical orientation in terms of what kind of therapy theories do they use? Do they use more evidence-based theories like cognitive behavioral therapy, where it's more skills-based, where it gives you more control? Do they use more solution-focused ones? I want to get an idea of their experience. I want to get an idea of, you know, how they approach a problem and how they will get me to the goal I want to get to. So I always say, you know, I treat it like an interview, and I always encourage people to ask more questions because you really want to make sure that you feel safe with this person, but also that you're connected with this person. So sometimes it could take one therapist, two therapists before you find the, the right one that you really like. But once you do, you'll know. Because once you do, you know, it'll, it'll start to feel like the ball's going, the ball's rolling, and things are, are effective and you're getting to where you want to be. Always sage advice. I, uh, I'm going to open and end it for you as we get into our last minute or two. Is there anything specific about mental health in the AAPI community that you want to touch on that we haven't discussed yet? I, I think a big part of it too, and what I would really want the community to know is there are so many different various types of treatment, you know, and I think a big part of it is what it really comes down to is what are you comfortable with? 
you know, are you comfortable with the idea of starting treatment and then having your family attend therapy to help them understand a little more? Are you, or do you want them on board first before you do anything? And I think the neat part about it is the more we communicate what we need to our providers, the more they can meet us where we're at and let us know what's available because you have therapy services from individual outpatient to, um, groups to skills-based groups to support groups and there's so many different things out there there's something that will meet your needs and I think you know whether it's talking to your family or if they're not completely on board there's also lots of family therapy programs where they will help the the family understand a little more as well and it's not to push therapy on them it's just to help them understand you know the nature of our emotions and what happens when we avoid them and and the various levels and intensities of everything. Again, giving that informative educational perspective really does help. So I think a big part of it too is I just want people to know there's something out there for you and there are so many different services. There are so many different types of levels of services that if you're not quite ready and you're afraid, that's okay because there's something out there for you to help you get a little more comfortable and to help your family get a little more comfortable with it too. Well, I'm, I'm glad you mentioned kind of the, the where you are, because one of the things I wanted to mention is if, if you're looking for free mental health resources, we have an entire hub for you at uh, worktobewell.org slash wellness resources. That's work, the number two, bewell.org slash wellness resources. So Take a look at those. That might help you get started on your journey. Um, thank you, Anna, for joining us today on Let's Talk Mental Health. We look forward to continuing the important conversation on mental health and wellness with more experts from Providence in our future episodes. Make sure to listen to all of our shows on Dash Radio under Future of Health Radio or your favorite podcast platform. Follow us on social media. We can be found on Twitter and Facebook at Providence and on Instagram under Providence Health Systems. To learn more about our mission programs and services, visit Providence.org. Thanks for listening. Remember, you're not alone. Providence cares.